Welcome to the podcast of Follow Baptist Church. Our vision and mission is to follow Jesus in our community for His glory. We hope and pray that you are blessed, challenged and inspired by this message. For more information on Follow Church, you can visit our website at www.followchurch.com.au. We are going to be opening our Bibles now. Uh, We're looking at the letter 1 Corinthians, uh, chapter 15, verses 12 to 26. If you have a Bible on you, uh, now's the time to get it out. Uh, Do we have it written in the little booklets? Fantastic. So you can look at that as well since we haven't got the screen today. Um, And if you do want a Bible and you haven't got a Bible, uh, we have baskets that are full of Bibles. And if you want to take one of those home, you are more than welcome to do that as well. They're just sitting in the aisles. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12 to 26. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, We are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we, of all people, are most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ, the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him, then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Amen. Thank you, Hayden. Who can stop the Lord Almighty? The answer is nobody, not even death. And that's why we're here this morning. What a marvellous day it is today. Today is Resurrection Sunday. It's a day we should have a spring in our step, a smile on our face, and hope in our hearts. Because we don't serve a God who's dead, we serve and praise a risen Saviour. We're not dead in our sins, we're alive in Christ. Jesus is not on the cross, he's not in the grave. He is reigning victorious at the right hand of the Father, and he has promised he is coming back for his people. And so today we can declare confidently that he is risen. Is everyone else excited about that this morning? That's very good news. Four people are excited. Who's excited about that this morning? Jesus is alive. What an awesome thing to celebrate. On Good Friday, I said that the cross is the center point of Christianity. If the cross is the center point, there is no doubt that the resurrection is the defining moment. Today is the most important day in the Christian calendar, celebrating the most significant event in human history, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave. Today's passage from 1 Corinthians 15 is one of the most well-known passages when it comes to the topic of resurrection. And it was penned by the Apostle Paul, 
who himself had encountered face-to-face the risen Christ on the road to Damascus, where he was on his way to persecute Christians. But after seeing and encountering Jesus with his own eyes, his life was transformed from the inside out so radically that he went from being one of the most passionate haters of Christianity to perhaps the greatest ever evangelist, apostle, and church planner that the world has ever seen. A man who spent the rest of his life from that moment on, travelling the world, enduring all sorts of suffering to tell everyone the good news about Jesus. By the time Paul wrote this letter to the church at Corinth, it was about 25 years after the resurrection of Christ. Now, a lot happens in 25 years, doesn't it? If you remember back 25 years ago, it was 1993. Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince were singing Boom Shake the Room. (laughs) Overalls were still in fashion, you know, those blue denim ones. Jurassic Park, number one, had just been released in the cinemas along with Sleepless in Seattle for all those that like the chick flicks. Ryan Gosling and Justin Timberlake had just joined Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera in the new Mickey Mouse Club. A lot changes in 25 years and a new generation coming through starts to forget what has happened in the past. Recently I heard of a 16-year-old who hadn't heard of September 11 and what happened to the Twin Towers. And I thought to myself, how could that be possible when it's such a huge event in history and in many ways an event that shaped our culture and our lives? And as I pondered that, I realised the reason that person didn't know about that is simply because sometimes things aren't passed on or sometimes we simply forget. Celebrating Resurrection Sunday every year and remembering it every day in our lives ensures that this great historical event will never be forgotten And the realities of it will be realised in our hearts day by day. The Apostle Paul was determined to pass on the most important things when it came to the gospel. In the same chapter that we're reading from today, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3, he says these words. He says, What I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried that he rose on the third day according to the scriptures and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 people, most of whom were still living when he wrote this letter to the Corinthians. There's three things that really stood out to me as I read this passage I want to share today that I think Paul was trying to communicate to this church at Corinth. And the first one is this, that the credibility of Christ and Christianity hangs on the resurrection. Have you ever met someone who talks a big game but doesn't deliver? Have you ever talked to somebody and they have all these promises, they promise you the world, and they make all sorts of claims only to fall short over and over again? Has anyone met someone like that? Give them a nudge this morning. (laughs) I don't know if I've ever mentioned this before, but I support the St Kilda Football Club. (laughs) And in 2014, they got a new president, um, they bottomed out again, And they uh, decided they were going to rebuild the rebuild that's been happening for 145 years. And they got a new president in uh, in 2013. And in 2014, he released a strategic vision for the future. And this exciting vision was going to start becoming a reality in the year 2018. We're in 2018 now. Let me read some of the stuff it said in this vision statement. It said, by 2018, we will be... Sorry, I need to try not to laugh. We will be... (laughs) A top four side, positioned to be a premiership contender. Well, it's only round two, but on Good Friday, which is not so good for St Kilda, 
we lost to North Melbourne, widely tipped to be the Wooden Spooners by over 50 points. So I think we can give that one a cross, right? Yeah. That's not going to happen. We're going to have 50,000 members in Australia. Cross. 10,000 members in New Zealand. Cross. We're going to reduce debt. Well, last week it was revealed that they are in massive debt. Cross. We will have an admired culture built on respect and accountability. Well, they're the laughing stock of the AFL and of every football code in the whole world. And so we can cross that one. And this is the funniest one. By 2020, we will have our second premiership in 145 years. Now, I know I'm going early, but we can just go ahead and put a big giant cross next to that one because that is nothing but an absolute pipe dream. I might sound bitter, and there's a good reason for that. I am. I'm very, very bitter. <laughs> Particularly towards my dad who forced me to barrack for St Kilda when I wanted to actually barrack for Hawthorne, who would have 10 premierships in my lifetime by this stage. Very bitter. But what I'm trying to communicate this morning is simply this, that they made some pretty bold claims and they put it in writing in their strategic document, but the reality is that their credibility hinges on them backing up those claims and getting some success, and to this point, they have not backed them up. Now, what has this got to do with Resurrection Sunday? Well, all things are possible, right? That's a good application point this morning. But we're talking about a person today. We're celebrating a person by the name of Jesus Christ who made some pretty big claims about himself. He said that I am the Son of God, the Messiah, the forgiver of sins, the good shepherd, the true vine, the healer, and the bread of life, which are all massive claims. But perhaps the most outrageous claim of all is found in John 11, chapter 25, when he was speaking to Lazarus' sister. And he said these words. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. Whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And then he said, do you believe this? Amen. And immediately after that, he resurrected Lazarus from the dead. And that question this morning, do you believe this, is still the question that eternity hinges on for each and every one of us. When Jesus says, I am the resurrection and I am the life, I want to ask you the question this morning, do you believe this? Good. Critics of Christianity know, just as well as Paul, that the credibility of Christianity hangs on the resurrection. If there's one thing that critics constantly attack in the Christian faith, it's the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, because if they can prove that that never happened, they can cancel out Christianity as null and void. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then we are wasting our time here this morning. We might as well pack up the chairs and go home, because Jesus would simply be a deluded lunatic with the things that he said. If he hung on the cross for us, even because he loved us, but he stayed in the grave, he may be a great man with strong convictions and good intentions, but he certainly wouldn't be someone worth following. And yet 2,000 years later, after his resurrection, here we are gathered in a room, in officer, the ends of the earth, on the other side of the planet, from where Jesus was in his earthly ministry, and we are celebrating and remembering today his resurrection. And in those 2,000 years, not a single person has been able to disprove Christ rose from the dead. With all of our advancements, with all of our science, with all of our DNA, nobody's produced a body, no evidence has been unearthed, and no DNA has been found. And I think the reason is simple, that Jesus Christ did in fact historically raise from the dead. And that's why we're here today. 
to celebrate that, to get excited about that. It's very hard to be the resurrection and the life when you're dead in a grave. But when you conquer death, all things are possible. And through the resurrection, we live in hope that we too can conquer death in him. This passage says that he is the first fruits of resurrection. In other words, what we saw in him is what we too will experience in our lives when he returns. I think as you read the passage, you'll notice that Paul agrees with the critics that the resurrection is what Christianity hinges on. And this is what he says if you look at verse 12. He says, But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised, and Paul saw it with his own eyes. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. Verse 17, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. This morning, I'm not going to go into all the evidence of the resurrection. We don't have time in today's service, although I believe there is plenty of that. On our Facebook page, we've posted a short video with some of those things if you're keen to see more. But I think what makes Paul's argument so incredibly strong and what convicts him to live this truth and ultimately to die for it is that he saw Jesus with his own eyes. And he knew 500 other people who saw him as well, including Peter and the 12, who were also willing to die because they were so convinced that the resurrection happened. Commentator William Barclay says, by far the best proof of the resurrection is the existence of the Christian church. Nothing else could have changed sad and despairing men and women into people radiant with joy and flaming with courage. If Peter, Paul, the apostles, and so many others are willing to give up their families, their friends, their reputations, their careers, and their own personal safety for their belief in the resurrection they saw with their own eyes, I reckon that's pretty compelling evidence that it did indeed happen. Paul is teaching these people that the credibility of Christianity hangs on the resurrection, and he's essentially saying to them that I saw this with my own eyes. I know it's true, and now I'm passing it on to you as of first importance. Today, I want to say to you that the resurrection hand-in-hand with the sacrificial death of Christ on the cross is the most important truth of our faith and something that we should hold on to dearly every single day of our lives and pass on as of first importance to our children and to every person we encounter in life. Jesus hung on the cross, but the credibility of Christianity hangs on the resurrection. The second thing I want to point out today is that the resurrection changes our perspective I want you to imagine for a moment how you would have felt on the day that Jesus was crucified if you were one of Christ's closest disciples, if you were one of those followers that went with him everywhere. How would you have felt on the day that Jesus was put to death? They had bet the farm on Jesus. They had put their faith, their trust, their hope, and their future in his hands, and they believed that he was who he said he was. They believed he was the Messiah promised in the Old Testament. They believed he was the Son of God. They also believed that he was going to establish the kingdom of God on earth, overthrow the Roman Empire, and they were going to be part of his leadership team reigning and ruling with him on earth. And so imagine how they would have felt in the moment as Jesus was hanging on the cross, their hero, their leader, their potential saviour, dying right in front of their eyes in the most humiliating, embarrassing, public, 
and shameful way imaginable. How would they have felt in that moment? In Matthew, Mark and Luke, it tells us in the last three hours of Jesus' life, complete darkness came over all the land as the light of the world slowly died. All creation was suffering from this horrific event, but at the same time, we can only imagine the immense darkness in the minds and in the hearts and in the lives of Jesus' disciples in that crushing moment. I imagine them feeling crushed. I imagine them feeling sad and disappointed. And I think they would have been actually really angry. Angry not only at the authorities and the injustice of what had happened to Christ, but probably angry with Jesus himself. Does anyone here remember a guy called Steve Smith? Used to play cricket for Australia. He's the captain of Australia. You remember him? A couple of weeks ago, there was a statement about Steve Smith that everyone was saying all the time, and it was this. The best since Bradman. The best since Bradman. When you thought of Steve Smith, you thought of the the best since Bradman. People idolised Steve Smith. They looked up to him as the captain of Australia. He was a hero of so many children and people put so much trust in him and yet a couple of weeks later, after he tampered with a small, shiny red ball, those very same people now want to hang him next to Ned Kelly. It's amazing how quickly people turn. It's amazing how fickle we can be. And I just wonder about Jesus' disciples. I reckon they would have had similar feelings. Jesus, we trusted you. Jesus, we put our faith and our hope in you. Jesus, we saw the miracles. We believed you were who you said you were, but now it's come to this. You're dying the death of a criminal on a cross. How did it come to this? How could you let us down this badly? I think the perspective between the death and the resurrection of Christ for these disciples was one of complete hopelessness. They were cowering in a corner. They were hiding in fear. They were hanging their heads in shame because they were seeing a cross with no resurrection. They were seeing a cross with no resurrection. Paul was teaching this church at Corinth a very important truth, and that is this, that the cross is not enough. That sounds very blasphemous this morning, but that's what he's saying to this church, that if the gospel is to have any power whatsoever, the death and the resurrection of Jesus have to be a package deal. For the disciples, the resurrection changed their perspective. What Paul outlines in this passage without the resurrection is, I think, how they would have been feeling after Jesus died on the cross, when they saw a cross with no resurrection. They would have been thinking to themselves, our faith, it's futile. Our preaching that we've been doing, it's been useless. We're still lost in our sins. We're lost. But the resurrection changed absolutely everything. We could use Peter as an example of a changed perspective. When Jesus was heading to his crucifixion, Peter could not see past the cross. That is all he could see. It was a huge obstacle to his faith. He had lost faith and he was scared. He was absolutely afraid. He was so afraid that he denied Jesus three times. Some guy came up to him and said, do you know Jesus? And he said, no, mate. Another guy came and said, weren't you with Jesus? And he said, "Uh uh-uh. A third guy came and said, Peter, weren't you one of his disciples? You were. You were were one of his disciples. He said, I never knew the man. Never knew him. A coward. 
And yet just a little while later at Pentecost, this same man stood up in front of a massive crowd, all eyes on him, and preached one of the most powerful sermons ever given. This guy changed from being a coward to a champion, from a denier to a proclaimer, from a pretender to a preacher, and from a wimp to an apostle. Look, I ask the question, what happened? Well, I'll tell you what happened this morning. The resurrection happened. The resurrection happened. The Holy Spirit was given. His perspective changed and his life was never the same again. The resurrection changed his perspective and his perspective changed his life. It hit me this week that none of us have ever lived on the wrong side of Jesus' resurrection. The disciples, we've got to cut them some slack. They, they lived on this side of the cross, didn't they? They journeyed with Jesus. Life was pretty good. All these promises they were looking forward to, they journeyed with Jesus. But they also went through his death on the cross. They were there when he hung there on the cross. He died right in front of their eyes. They lived post-cross and pre-resurrection in the darkness and the confusion and the concern and the worry of what was going on. But they also lived post-resurrection. And post-resurrection, they were almost unrecognisable in their absolute convincing of the resurrection of Jesus. They were different people. What really hit home for me this week is that we've never experienced life on the wrong side of the resurrection. We have always lived in a post-resurrection reality. So what does that tell me? It tells me that we should live lives that are full of hope. We should be the most hopeful, joyful, expectant, passionate people on planet Earth because we live in the reality of the resurrection. Every day is resurrection day for those that are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8 verse 11 says, The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. That's powerful stuff. Don't tell me Christianity is a dead faith. Don't tell me you have no hope in life because Christianity is a faith of new mercies every morning. It's a faith of endless possibilities. It's a faith where nothing is impossible. It's a faith that declares that you and I in Christ are a new creation. That is awesome. If Jesus stayed in the grave, our faith would be dead. But he rose from the grave, so our faith is alive. And it's a faith of momentum. We can keep moving forward because we live in the hope of a risen saviour who says, I am the resurrection and the life. And so I wonder this morning, what areas of your life do you need a fresh perspective? What areas of your life do you need a resurrected mindset? What areas of your life have you given up on? Which areas do you think in your life are, are dead without any hope? Well, this morning it might be your marriage. It might be your relationships. It could be your family. It could be your health. It could be your sense of purpose. Well, today you can bring those things to Jesus and know that you're bringing them to a Savior who not only hears your prayer, but he says, I'm the resurrection and I am the life. And when things are dead, I can bring them back to life. And so trust in me. Trust in me. It's an incredible truth that we can keep moving forward because of the resurrection of Christ Jesus. The resurrection changes our perspective because it proves there's nothing impossible for our God. The third and final point today is that the resurrection brings us the hope of eternal life. Verse 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. I love his confidence, the Apostle Paul. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. I saw it with my own eyes. 
But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he's destroyed all dominion, authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Because of the resurrection, we don't have a futile faith. We're not lost in our sins. But most importantly, we're not dead. At our house, we have a family dog. His name's Darcy. Darcy is an 18-month-old miniature bull terrier. And they are notoriously stubborn and notoriously dumb. And Darcy has offered no evidence to the contrary. (laughs) We love him anyway, or at least I do. I'm not sure about Kim. Uh, But bull terriers have a habit of getting obsessed with certain things. And Darcy, he's obsessed with going to the park. It's the one park we take him to where we let him off the lead and he runs after the stick and the ball. And he's absolutely obsessed with this park. And the second you get him out and start walking towards the front door, he will pull you all the way to the park. He's obsessed with the park. Last week, Adele was taking him for a walk. And while she was walking him, he managed to wriggle his head out of the collar. And he stood there. And I was watching all this unfold. And I looked at him and I said, Darcy. And he looked at me and he's like, I'm free. I said, Darcy, come here. And he looked at me and he's like, there is no way I'm coming there. Today, I am going to that park. And he turned around and he hightailed it for the park. Now, the problem is the park is over the other side of Henry Road, which is a four-lane road, a fairly busy kind of a road. And it was a bit of a concerning situation. And Dale and I stood there and we watched Darcy run down a side street to a T intersection. The T intersection was Henry Road. And I was looking at him, his head down, he's running. And I'm thinking, car, car, car. He's thinking, park, park, park. And he didn't care about the cars. And we were just watching. It was like watching a life-size version of the game Frogger. You know, on the Atari, Frog's got to get across the road without getting squashed by the truck or the motorbike or the car. And this is our life-size Frogger happening right in front of our eyes. And there's nothing we could do. We know that it's just now down to timing. Is Is Darcy predestined to die today? I don't know, but I hope not. And so we just stood there cringing, worrying what was going to happen. And so we watched him head down, didn't even consider the cars at all, and he went straight across the road. Thankfully for Darcy, he timed it well, and this game of Frogger ended well, and he avoided getting squashed. And he never made it to the park because he ended up in the lake. (laughs) It's like, park, 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 lake! And he was almost drowning in the middle of the lake by the time we rescued him. Never a dull moment. But I was reflecting on that. And if Darcy had been hit by a truck that day, he would have been dead. No resurrection for Darcy. He would have stopped breathing, no heartbeat, and no pulse. And as I thought about that, it occurred to me that all of us, at one time or another in our lives, have been as dead as Darcy would have been when it comes to our spiritual life. Physically alive, no awareness of the danger all around us, but we were spiritually dead. There was no heartbeat, there was no pulse, there was no relationship between us and God because we were dead in our sin. Dead in our sin. That's what the passage tells us in verse 22. It says, for as in Adam all die. When God created mankind, they lived in harmony with him in the Garden of Eden and with one another. They lived in what I would call unblemished relationship. 
this beautiful relationship between God and them and the people around them. But when Adam and Eve decided to rebel against God and do things their own way, sin entered God's very good creation. And the Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. And so with sin came death. Sin and death is a package deal, which is why the cross and the resurrection also need to be a package deal. Because at the cross, Jesus took our sin and he nailed it there for every person who would put their faith in him. But through his resurrection, he conquered death so that we could also conquer it in him. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through the man, resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive, but each in turn, Christ the first fruits, then when he comes again, those who belong to him. As I finish up this morning, here's the tension at Easter. There are many people in our lives who are living right now and they think they're alive, but spiritually they're dead. These people are people we find in our families, in our friendship circles, in our neighbourhood, in our workmates. Some of the closest people in our life are a little bit like Darcy. They're running across the road oblivious to know when life could end. What Darcy doesn't realise is that the park is no fun when you're dead. The park is no fun if you're dead. But there are many people who are fixated on their own version of the park their own things in life, the obsession with the things of this life but never really reflecting on the things of the next. This is why the resurrection this morning is so important because it's the only park experience that is truly worth living your life for. It's a historical reality of the past which is our only hope for the future and it should make Jesus the number one priority of our lives. On Good Friday, we reflected on the book of Hebrews They told us that we are all destined to die once and then face judgment. But Jesus will return to bring salvation for those who wait for him. That's the great news of this Easter time, that Jesus is coming back to bring salvation for us who are waiting for him. I hope as you reflect on the message of Easter over Easter lunch today that you would be reminded not only that we serve a God who died in our place for our sin, but we also serve a saviour who rose again so that we could live. This morning, let's remember that the credibility of Christianity and Christ himself hinges on what we celebrate today, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. The resurrection should change our mindset in life and the resurrection gives us hope for the future. Let's bow our heads and we're going to pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the message of Easter So much of it is so painful that you would send your one and only begotten son, perfect, sinless son of God, to die a horrific death on the cross, not because he deserved it, but because we did. Jesus, we thank you so much today for dying in our place, for taking the punishment we deserve to take. Lord, I thank you that in you, when we accept the work of the cross and we accept you as our Lord and Saviour, we can find forgiveness and we can find new hope. But Lord, we thank you that when you died, you didn't stay in that grave, but on the third day you rose again. And that's the only hope that we have for eternal life. Because if you didn't defeat death, then we wouldn't either. But because you have, we can too. Lord, we thank you that in you, 
we can say that you are the resurrection and the life. Lord Jesus, today we look forward with great anticipation to that day when we stand before you and we're resurrected to new life in you, not for a temporary kind of a life, but for an eternal one. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this message. I pray for everyone here this morning, for those that have heard this many times before, Lord, I pray that there be a fresh passion, that we would live our lives in a resurrected reality. But Lord, for those that haven't heard it before today, I pray that you'd speak to their heart, that you'd remove any doubts, that you would make yourself clear to them, that they too would know you as their resurrection, as their life. In Jesus' name, amen.